0: When we introduced the idea of sitting at the bench many weeks ago now, a few weeks ago, I asked you something very specifically. I asked you to engage your imagination. I wanted you and me to imagine Jesus sitting at a bench with us. I even talked about setting up a bench like in my neighborhood or downtown or And maybe even sitting with people and just being in conversation and listening to people, but also imagining Jesus doing that. The other thing I imagined when I was imagining this conversation was seeing Jesus sitting on a bench, looking out at our world, looking out at the church, looking into my heart, and then coming and sitting alongside him. But then noticing that as he was looking out at the world and even looking out at the church and sometimes looking into my heart, looking over at him, just imagine it now, right now in your mind, sitting with him and noticing that there was a tear welling up in his eye. Looking out at the church, looking out at the world, looking sometimes out into my heart. Next week, we're going to make a shift on the bench. Next week, we're going to kind of talk about gratitude, about thankfulness, and what that means for us intentionally. And next week, we're going to have 100 thanks cards, thank you cards, that are going to be pre-stamped. 100. You're not going to be allowed to take more than one. All right? So those of you who say, I know five people. Nope. One. And we're going to hope to send, this is Project Gratitude 100, we'll give it a name today. And give everyone a card to just say thank you, for whatever reason, to someone. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. And then the week after that, Pastor Leo is going to help us think about what it means to actually, truly find rest in God. But today, we're going to start with a prayer. Look at this prayer up here. Go ahead, next slide, please. Lord, it's easy to be cynical. And everyone said amen? Amen. Okay. just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Lord, it's easy to be cynical or shut off from the issues around me. But equally, I can find myself becoming overwhelmed in the face of the sheer amount of need. Would you help my heart to stay soft and my eyes to stay open as I seek to discern my unique contribution to your kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven? Amen. What kind of prayer is that? I asked myself when I read Pete Portal's prayer the first time, what kind of prayer is that? And I concluded this is a prayer for revival. Now I know when I start using a word like that, that's kind of like sounds old fashioned. And we'll get to that. But the ancient words of the psalmist carry the weight of prayer for us who claim Jesus today. In Psalm 85, we read these words. It's a question. He looks at God and he says, Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Will you not revive us again? And when you read the psalm, the psalmist is asking to be restored. He's asking for the people of God to be restored in their life with God in this world. This prayer reminds me, both the prayer of the psalmist and the prayer of Pete Portal, both remind me of what we learned from Jesus on the bench last week when he, he taught us to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, at the heart, those words from Jesus, at the heart, that's a prayer for revival. The Lord's prayer is a prayer for revival at its heart. Revival. That's a word that's loaded with all kinds of misplaced assumptions and misconceptions and misunderstandings and some people think of revival and they think of emotional excess. Other people think of revival and they think of some legalistic things and some people outside the church think of revival and it's the last thing they want to be part of. But even with all its baggage, the word revival points to what be what may be most essential for our world today. It's what's going to change the world more than anything else. A true spiritual revival. However, is revival what we think it is? Paul Landry has said to me more times than I can count. He has said this to me, take a piece of chalk, make a circle on the ground, step into it, and then pray, Lord, begin with me. That's really a prayer for revival. Lord, whatever, whatever the circumstance, what we're seeing going on in the world, all these different things, what we think should be happening, draw a circle, step into the middle of it and say, Lord, Begin with me. But then what's next? What happens after we say that is supposed to be revival. As another person said it this way, start with the soul, then work outward. And Jesus seemed to talk about that when he talked about fruit, when he talked about what we could see coming out of what we don't see. But what does revival look like? How would Jesus answer that question? I mean, Jesus Christ is the center of our faith. At the conclusion of the service, Pastor Mary is going to lead us in the Lord's Supper because we believe that we are a Christocentric church. We are a Trinitarian church, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are a scripturally rooted church. But the symbol we wear around our necks is a cross. So he's the center of our faith. So it's worth asking, Jesus, what does revival look like to you? What does a your will be done and your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven revival look like? Well, that's, we're going to meet him on the bench and see what he has to say to us today. He showed up in his hometown. Here he comes. Hey, here he comes. It's the teacher. It's the prophet. Some are saying he's the Messiah. Did you hear? Did you hear what he's been doing? Did you hear about the people he's touched? Yeah. Can you believe he healed that guy? That's kind of what the feel is. He shows up in his hometown. It's all the buzz. He's trending. I imagine he'd be trending on the City of Nazareth Facebook page and all the comments. And there'd be some of those little hearts and some of those thumbs up and then there'd be a bunch of those angry little faces. Those would be the Pharisees. Right? But get Jesus is coming. Maybe he will do one of those cool miracles for us. Hey, maybe he will make us a promise about getting rid of these Romans. Better yet, maybe, I mean, we're Nazareth. We're a backwater place. Maybe finally he will give us power and place and prominence. They had to be pumped up. They were amped up. And what do they do? They they welcome him into the synagogue. I mean, he's a rabbi. They welcome him into the synagogue, and they give him the honor of reading from the prophet. They go over. They get the scroll. They hand him the scroll. The scripture had already been selected. They handed him the scroll. The scroll of the prophet was handed to him. We read in Luke chapter 4. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll Handed it back to the synagogue attendant. And then he sat down. And I love this part. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. They were anticipating. They were excited. They were saying, this is our day. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Well, this was really good news. This was really good news, except for this one thing. It was news, good news that was much more than what they bargained for. And what you need to do is you need to now read the rest of Luke 4 and see what happens, how how they respond and how he responds and see what happens. And he's basically calling them out for not being this. So I I just gave the rest of it away. But it was much more than what they bargained for and it's much more than what we bargained for because what we have here from Jesus is Jesus lays out God's desire for how the world should be. And if revival does anything, it lays out God's desire for how the world should be. That's the heart of revival according to Jesus. This is how Ray Ortland sums it up. A true revival is not a private religious joyride. It is a divine power for advocacy, starting with us Christians who not only pray but also act boldly for the sake of others. And did you catch that? Like, revival leads to these words for the sake of others. For the sake of others. That's revival. I'm trying to illustrate that, Orland gives a contrast to another section of scripture we're going to look at where Jesus talks about revival that we call the Beatitudes. This is how his contrast sounds. Congratulations to the entitled, for this world lies at their feet. Congratulations to the carefree, for they shall be comfortable. Congratulations to the pushy, for they shall get ahead. Congratulations to the greedy, for they shall climb the food chain. Congratulations to the vengeful, for they shall be feared. Congratulations to those who don't get caught, for they shall look good. Congratulations to the argumentative, for they shall get in the last word. And congratulations to the popular, for this world lies at their feet. Well, that doesn't sound like Jesus, right? I mean, doesn't sound like Jesus. But it sounds kind of familiar, right? It's like the prevailing thinking and, and it's easy to say it's the prevailing thinking of our world, of our culture, but the truth is it's the prevailing thinking of mankind in all of history apart from God. But what revival does is revival shifts something. It shifts the way we think. True revival isn't just about getting our emotions worked up or trying to make us feel good It changes the way we think. Because according to Scripture, Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us that it's in a renewing of the mind that transformation takes place. God renews the way we think. And that's what revival does. It changes the way we think. It changes us to seeking to think like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, that, that's revival according to Jesus. Luke 4 is revival according to Jesus. This section in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 10, is a reflection of the revival of Jesus. So, if our idea of revival now, think about what your idea is of revival when you came in here today. If our idea of revival is God restoring a nostalgic vision of the church or some kind of nostalgic vision of America to a former better day. We're missing the mark. True revival, a true spiritual renewal, leads to transformation of the heart and the mind, which then leads to justice and peacemaking and mercy and holiness and righteousness and compassion today. Not trying to rehash something from another day, but today in the context of today. Some of you are from very familiar with what happened this past February at Asbury College. Revival broke out on that campus. It was powerful, go back and read. But this is what they noted. Some of you know from history that there was a similar revival in the 1970s that broke out at that campus. One of the first things the leaders of the revival said was, don't equate the two. And God did some very specific things in the lives of those college students that was specific to this day, this time, this cultural context. Revival is always current. It is always focused on what's happening in us now and how we're to actually live this revival life out, if you will. This is why we need it so much. This is why revival's needed. Not for me to gain some personal, have some personal spiritual attainment or, you know, as as we said earlier, this personal, like, spiritual joyride. Not so that the church can have religious dominance. Not so that we can have some kind of great political power. I don't know if you've checked out church history, but every time the church has had great political power, it's gone badly, I think this is a really good word for us two days before we vote, and we as followers of Jesus who believe in the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, we have an obligation, because we have freedom that others don't have. We should all be voting Tuesday, because we have freedoms that others don't have. We should all be stepping into that booth, period. And so I want to encourage you, and it's not too late to register. You can register in line, and I invite you to do that. But listen to these words from David Brooks. He wrote this amazing article on how America got mean. He says, if you are asking politics to be the reigning source of meaning in your life, you are asking more of politics than it can bear. Go back to some of the things we sang today. Then he says, this has not produced a happy society. It's not. That's just a fact. Or as Michael Frost put it, Christians shouldn't be looking around for the next political liberator. We need to look inside for evidence of spiritual renewal. Renewal of the mind and the living out of a new set of habits and values. All too often we couch the idea of revival in terms of protecting something, protecting our Christian faith or saving America or doing something like that. But sometimes sometimes we do that with words and actions and methods that do not reveal the very Savior we serve. So when we start talking about revival, We really need to think about what we mean. What do you mean by that? We need to take stock of that. And one way to measure what we mean is to listen to what we say. Dr. Jaron Rowell is the president of Nazarene Theological Seminary, and he penned these words. When the sound of renewal or revival is angry and combative, it is not being led by the Spirit. It's no wonder far too often the church sounds more like the anxious and angry world than like the peaceable kingdom of Christ Jesus. So yes, we, we want the Spirit of the Lord to be upon us with such power and impact and transformation that the life and the mission of Jesus will be seen and heard and revealed through us. We want our lives to be good news the good news that Jesus declares is his purpose. Or as Alan Hirsch famously put it, I have it on my wall in my office. Your healing is the healing of the world. Your redemption is the redemption of the world. When you and I are healed in Christ, we bring that into the world. When we're redeemed in Christ, we bring that into the world. That's what we need to bring into the world. What Jesus has done in me Here's a question for every one of us. Every one of us. Has your relationship with Jesus Christ changed your life? Has it changed you? Has it transformed you? Has it altered you? Has it shifted you? Has it caused you to be more drawn to the things of God than anything else? There's nothing, nothing better than you. There is nothing, nothing better than you. We just sang that. Do you believe that? That's revival. Do I believe that? But the question really is, do we really want revival according to Jesus? Do we really want it? Someone said this, powerful statement. Next slide, please. Popular Christianity could enjoy a boom altogether divorced from the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. It can be really popular, it can be really great, it can be really wonderful, completely without the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. If I set up a sign outside and said, um, free Tupperware sets, I bet you I can get a crowd. And it wouldn't require, I could have a crowd. I could have all kinds of bells and whistles. But just because there's a crowd doesn't mean the transforming power of the Holy Spirit's behind it. Just because there's not a crowd doesn't mean the transforming power of the Holy Spirit's behind it. This person went on to say this. It is my considered opinion that under the present circumstances, we do not want revival at all. A widespread revival of the kind of Christianity we know today in America might prove to be a moral tragedy from which we would not recover in a 100 years. Good question. Do we really want to replicate what Christianity is in America today across the world? Is that revival? Do we want that? That writer says that kind of Christianity that we know today in America might prove to be a moral tragedy. Here's the challenge. That was written in 1957 by this man. Put that good-looking guy up there. A.W. Tozer, one of the greatest spiritual formation writers of all time. He wrote that in 1957 when the church, when Billy Graham's crusades were flying and the church was like in its heyday and he looked out on the world and he said, we better be careful. Or more current today. Russell Moore writes, if if what we mean by revival is a resurgence of American Christianity, with all the numbers and the influence and the programs and the reputation the church once had, the results could be catastrophic. I wish these guys wouldn't bother me so much. Why would A.W. Tozer in a past generation and Russell Moore in the present generation say such things. Because ultimately, revival doesn't start on the surface. Ultimately, revival isn't about power externally. Ultimately, it's not about how it all looks. Yeah, there are implications to the externals. But you see, revival is about what lies beneath. Revival is not about getting the city, the state, the country, or the world right. It's about getting the church right. I believe the Bible says that judgment starts at the house of God. Ouch. It's not about fixing someone out there who I perceive as an enemy of the faith. Someone out there who's an enemy of my faith. It is about dying to the self-referenced worldview within and asking Jesus to give me his vision for the world. And the last I checked, the Bible says we got to do that every day. And Jesus even said that. He talked about that too. One more thing from the bench Jesus tells us. My followers will be. And the place he's talking about is the cross. And as when those of us who claim the name of Christ come to the foot of the cross confessing everything we sang this morning. There's nothing better than you. You alone, oh God, can do this. You, O God, are the one. When we come in confession of our utter, truest need of Christ, of His grace, of His forgiveness, of His sanctifying power, of His keeping power, of His very life, and we lose our life to Him, then revival will come. And this is what it looks like. It will come, not somewhere out there to fix the problem out there, to fix the country, to fix the neighborhood, to fix the city, to fix the politicians, to fix that church over there or this church over there. No, 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 no. Not out there somewhere. But revival will come within us and through us. And then, maybe then, someone will come across these words. Maybe they'll hear it read somewhere. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And they'll hear that from somebody somewhere. And then maybe they'll look at you Or hopefully they'll look at me and they'll say, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing by just looking at our lives. My friends, that, that will be revival that will be revival that will be revival in my extended family that would be revival among my adult children that will be revival on my little neighborhood on Ferry road that that would be revival in the places i encounter when i enter the public arena when i function in the area of commerce when i go into a voting booth on tuesday That will be revival. And because of that, that is why we come today to the centering practice and sacrament of the Lord's Supper. This is why we come to the table.